Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is the evidence-based podcast that looks into various paranormal occurrences that happen here in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and even though I'm a skeptic by nature, I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and really open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I'll present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode is going out to a city called Pryor, Oklahoma, and this covers the Thunderbird Youth Academy. So just a little bit of history about Pryor. It was actually started as a town in a territory of the Cherokee tribe. And the founder of the man was very in tune with these local tribes people. So they let him settle into the area. And he himself, he was even married to a woman from one of the other tribes called the Osage tribe. And he was pretty much kind of like an agent for that tribe. So he was pretty much accepted by the indigenous people in the area and able to start the town of Pryor. In the late 1800s to early 1900s, Pryor, Oklahoma was a town where people primarily did agricultural work. They raised cattle, they farmed for a living. It was a really small town, but the white people and indigenous people really lived side by side peacefully. There wasn't any conflicts or anything like that. So what started to happen is after the Civil War in the United States, there was a ton of white families who were moving to the area and Pryor was really growing quite rapidly. But at the time, it really wasn't an easy place to live in. I mean, this was the American frontier. The conditions were really hard. They were primitive. I mean, not only is it not like present day where there was no running water, there was poor medical care, things like that. But the conditions were really, really tough. This led to a lot of people actually passing away at a young age, both on the side of the white people and of the indigenous people. The Cherokee people, they had facilities that could house orphan children whose family members had passed away, whether that be from disease, tough conditions, or those who had even passed away during wars, things like that. Though the problem was there was nowhere for the white children to go if their parents died when they were young. As again, this was Cherokee territory. And this was again, especially a problem after the Civil War with many men going to fight in the army and whatnot. Luckily, though, for these children, the Whitakers lived in the area. Now, William and Stacy Whitaker arrived in Pryor Creek area in 1887 with their own children in tow, and they owned a 40-acre plot of land and lived in a pretty large, beautiful home. They were doing pretty well. And the property was pretty close to downtown. It was just about a mile southeast of the downtown of Pryor. The Whitakers were really highly religious, and they felt a calling to help these children who were left on their own as the orphans had nowhere to go. They eventually began boarding the children in their large home, and they could do so because not only was the home large, but they had the 40 acres to help feed them, things like that. 
But eventually, they found themselves needing to take in more and more children, and they really just didn't have the space. As the Whitakers didn't take in just white children, they would also take in any children from any race, including additional indigenous people's children. So since they didn't have enough space, the Whitakers Children's Home was founded in 1897, and the main orphanage housing was erected. With the need for more facilities for the children they were taking in, the property went from 40 acres to they acquired 590 acres. Eventually, the property had up to 30 buildings on site for the multiple children to be there, but also so that there could be work done. As again, it takes a lot to feed that many children. So the Whitakers set up the home so that it could mainly be self-sufficient to care for the kids. The farm, for example, they raised their own food, milk, cheese, and all of that by raising cows, pigs, chickens, pretty much anything that you could sustain yourself on. They also grew their own crops, which provided fruits and vegetables and all of that for themselves and their children, as well as it would feed the livestock. So it was pretty much a self-sufficient operation. And it does take quite a bit of manpower to run a farm, do the chores around the property, take care of the animals. So as the children got older, they were expected to take on some of the responsibility to become well-functioning adults, but also to keep the place running. I mean, the Whitakers were taking these people in out of the goodness of their heart. They weren't receiving financial aid from the government. So they really needed these children to kind of step up and help with their care. So as they got older, they would expect it to do more chores while helping out the younger kids also. For example, there was one of the buildings where the older girls were taught the skill of sewing. They would use this skill to make clothes for themselves as well as clothes for the younger kids, the boys, or those who had other jobs. And that's just one example. And everyone here pretty much worked as a team. There wasn't a lot of fighting or anything like that from what I was able to read. There was a lack of schools in the area, again, for white children, so the Whitakers also had to take it upon themselves not only to have the children helping to run the facilities, but also they had to school all of the children. They had classrooms and training facilities on site and even brought in teachers for the kids to have a solid education. So by the time the kids grew up and were ready to leave the orphanage, they had all the skills and knowledge that they needed to be successful adults. They knew how to do a job. They knew how to be hardworking. They were educated. They could read. They could write, which wasn't something that everyone could do at that time. Now, while the home was largely self-sufficient, they did rely a lot on donations of money, clothing, and other goods from the local community. They would actually post weekly advertisements in the newspaper asking for help from the community. And they did eventually receive government assistance for taking in children from any indigenous tribe. But they would not receive any government assistance for taking in those of white descent, which is why donations were so important as no one else was taking in these white children and they had nowhere else to go but to stay with the Whitakers. The home was set up to actually service up to 100 children at a time. So this was not an easy feat, but luckily the community was pretty giving to help with this care 
But again, as time passed, more and more children were coming to the Whitaker Orphanage. And the Whitakers, they just couldn't keep up. It was a lot of work. They couldn't afford the rising costs. They weren't getting a lot of help as the majority of the kids there were of white descent. So in 1908, they actually let the state take over the orphanage and run it with the backing of government funds. This establishment continued to take in orphans and children in need, but it was no longer run by the Whitakers themselves. In 1982, the state ended up closing down the orphanage, so it had run for a long, long time. And the facility rights were actually then passed on to the Oklahoma Military Department. About 11 years later, in 1993, the Thunderbird Youth Academy opened its doors. The Whitaker Education and Training Center actually still continues today and is home to the Thunderbird Youth Academy. The Youth Academy is located where the Whitaker State Orphans Home was located in the original building. And the main orphanage home has actually become Merritt Hall, which is actually the headquarters for the Youth Academy. This academy pretty much runs itself in an almost military-like fashion. And what the Thunderbird Youth Academy is, is it's actually a pretty cool program. What it does is it targets those who live in the state of Oklahoma who are between the ages of 16 and 18 years old. You can be any gender, but you have to have dropped out of high school. And these high school dropouts, they're really at a higher risk of having problems in the present as well as later on in life. So once these kids have dropped out of high school, they're having a hard time, the Youth Academy works to get these kids into their program. The Thunderbird Youth Academy is funded by the federal government and is run by the Oklahoma National Guard. So due to all this funding, the kids actually get to go here free of charge, which is pretty great opportunity for kids who maybe can't function in the school system, they can't graduate, but they can still get some semblance of an education and so forth. As what the Youth Academy does is it works on building up a kid's self-esteem, on their academic strength, and it also teaches them life skills that they'll need upon graduation. Now, once the kids have graduated, they should have the skills to be ready to join the workforce and maintain a healthy life. So it's really a great place if you can't survive in high school. So that is the history of how the Thunderbird Youth Academy came about. And next, I want to get into the haunted reports of what is said to be going on at the Thunderbird Youth Academy even today. But before I get into the hauntings and what brought them on, I want to give you all a really amazing podcast recommendation. And the podcast I want to recommend is actually part of a larger group called the BooPod Network. This is a network of amazing podcasts, including this one, of course. And what we do is we help promote each other to spread the word so that other great podcasts get noticed. And the podcast I want to send a shout out to is called Haunted UK. This podcast is really, really professional sounding. It kind of makes me feel bad about mine sometimes. And they cover some really strange topics, everything from hauntings to mysterious disappearances. And even Bigfoot himself likes to pop up. Now, here I'm going to play the trailer for the Haunted UK podcast, 
So sit back, enjoy, and then make sure you check them out. Are you interested in stories of ghosts, poltergeists, and the paranormal? Do you love an amazing tale of an unsolved mystery, a strange disappearance? How about a UFO encounter, or even a first-hand sighting of a creature that should only exist in your nightmares? Why not join us over at the Haunted UK podcast, where every two weeks we delve deep into the tales of the strange and unusual, the unsolved and the downright weird. The Haunted UK podcast is available on all major platforms, as well as being on Instagram and Coffee. So why not give us a follow and get involved with the show? Thanks for listening, and we really hope that you'll join us for our next episode. And on that note, it's back to the show. All right, everyone, and let's get back into the episode. Now, to get into the hauntings, I'm going to give you the main theory for why people feel like the Youth Academy is actually haunted. So when the facility was still an orphanage, an F4 tornado ripped through the town of Pryor, Oklahoma on April 27th of 1942. And to give you a little bit of reference, if you're not familiar with tornadoes, which I am because I am actually deathly afraid of these things. I didn't even want to look at any pictures to talk about the tornado, so I kind of avoided that. But tornadoes range on a scale from F1 to F5, F5 being the worst, and this is an F4, so it was pretty large and pretty devastating. And they're basically rated on how much damage they cause, things like that. Now, the townspeople of prior Oklahoma were not prepared at all for this tornado as they had no idea it was coming. At this time, Pryor was still a pretty small town. They had no tornado sirens. People didn't have access to watching the news. And it was even really hard to hear anything about this like on a radio if you were listening. And again, this is well before our smartphones start vibrating and making a horrible noise telling us, hey, get to your basements. I mean, these people in prior probably didn't even have basements. The tornado itself touched down right outside of downtown Pryor, and it destroyed pretty much everything in its path. It was a huge tornado. Its path actually spanned two city blocks wide, so it was a monster of a tornado. It actually decimated homes and businesses, including the two local hospitals. There was over $2 million in damage that was done, which is equal to about $35 million today. And to make matters worse, not only did the tornado destroy the businesses and the structures in its path, but it also caused heavy rains after the flooding, which caused more and more damage. At the end of the day, over 450 people were injured, and those Seriously injured people were taken to hospitals in nearby towns, though not all of them could be taken in. So the town kind of made itself little makeshift hospitals throughout in places such as the community house and two local churches. Sadly, at the end of the tornado and all the flooding, over 50 people had died in prior Oklahoma during the tornado. This tornado was actually ranked as the fifth deadliest tornado in the state of Oklahoma history, even to this day. I'm not sure if this is just because of the lack of early warning systems or 
if this was just a massive tornado compared to what's been going on, but it is the fifth deadliest as of now. It is also reported that of those 50 people who died, some were the children who were residing at the orphanage. It is said the children died as the orphanage was struck by the tornado, and that to this day, the spirits of these children now continue to haunt the grounds of the youth academy. Though, the problem is this story doesn't exactly line up with the hauntings. So let's explore this main claim a little bit and why the Thunderbird Youth Academy is haunted. The tornado did smash through the town of Pryor, but the orphanage was actually not damaged during the tornado at all. None of the children from the orphanage died during the tornado, but that doesn't mean the orphanage didn't experience tornado death. Remember how I stated that Pryor had makeshift hospitals put up? Well, the orphanage was one of these makeshift hospitals used to triage those who were injured in the tornado. According to newspaper articles, some of the people taken to the orphanage for triage ended up passing away from their injuries at the orphanage. The freezer in the main dining area that is still used today in Thunderbird Youth Academy was used as a makeshift morgue to temporarily store those people who had died until their families could claim them and everything had been kind of cleared out from the tornado wreckage. So while the main haunting report of the children dying in the tornado isn't accurate, those who were injured and died after they were brought here may still be roaming these halls. And just to think that, remember how I said Merritt Hall is where the main orphanage was? Well, that building is still used today, and that is where the triaged patients were kept. Now we're going to move on to the most well-known spirit that is said to haunt the Thunderbird Youth Academy, and that is of a boy named Hector. Hector likes to spend most of his time on the third floor of the current day platoon building. The local legends state that Hector didn't die in the tornado, of course. He died in a much more nefarious way. So let's get into what happened with Hector. Hector is said to have been a quite difficult kid. He was always causing trouble at the orphanage with other kids, picking fights. He was acting out against adults, didn't really follow any of the rules, and was really just kind of a danger to himself and others. Now, there are two separate accounts of how Hector actually died, and neither one of them is a very pleasant way to go. The first claim, which isn't the most popular claim, is that the custodian of the orphanage had just been fed up with Hector's shenanigans. I mean, he was always having to clean up after him. Hector was always causing him problems, and he just could not take it anymore. So what he did is he lured Hector away from the other children and adults and took him into one of the closets in the orphanage. And there he hung Hector from the ceiling until he died, which is quite a bit extreme if you ask me. I mean, maybe you wrap him on the head with, you know, your mop broom or something, but, you know, hanging a kid from a ceiling in an orphanage might be a little bit much, and I'm not sure how you would hide that. And while that one sounds pretty terrible, the next claim is even worse. 
this one actually involved the cook. So again, remember, Hector was really difficult to deal with, and times were pretty hard. And more and more children were being taken in by the Whitakers at the orphanage. They were having a hard time supporting all the kids, and one of the most difficult things was having enough food to feed the children. So what better way to solve two problems than to kill Hector and cook him to feed the other orphans? Yeah, pretty gross. So apparently Hector was killed by this cook, chopped up, and put into a pie or something. Pretty gross claims either way, and I can't imagine anyone treating a kid this way, let alone no matter how annoying he might have been. Regardless, Hector is the most spotted spirit at the Thunderbird Youth Academy. And as I said earlier, he is most commonly spotted in the third platoon building, but sometimes he's also seen in the second platoon building. And while he is most spotted, he's not really mean in his afterlife, even if he was during his life. Pretty much what he likes to do is play pranks. He will mess with cadets' shoes, sometimes hiding them or tying the shoelaces together. And apparently he can be respectful, as some of the officers have stated that if you tell him to stop, he usually will. Though I'm not sure about the origins of Hector. As first off, um, I don't believe the Whitakers or the orphanage would have allowed or covered up either one of these alleged accounts of the death of Hector. And it's also been commented by many in historical records about what a great job the Whitakers did in raising the kids at the orphanage. Also, after the Whitakers were done, it was still remarked how great the kids were when they left. It's stated repeatedly in multiple articles, in video interviews, and all of that, how well-adjusted the children were, and when they left, they were able to easily integrate into society and be successful adults. One account from Bessie Fuller Cleland, who lived here for 10 years from 1922 to 1932, went on and on about how Mr. Whitaker actually went looking for any kid who needed a home. He would ride in his wagon throughout the town and pick them up. And she also stated how well cared for and educated all of them were, including herself. Now, many of the former residents also maintained communications with other members of the Whitaker home family. And there have been several reunions held at the facility in recent years, including this year. Their most recent one will take place in June of 2022. The orphans who left actually still remember the kindness of the Whitakers and the orphan home, and they only have good things to say. This really doesn't sound like a place where people would have been hung or anybody would have eaten another child. Also, the pranks that Hector plays are a bit, maybe not so ghostly. They sound like pranks that would be played by other kids staying in the barracks. I mean, pretty much just harmless fun that happens in most dorm-style living situations. For any of you who went to college or lived in barracks, things like that, you know that people are going to mess with other people. But the only issue with this is many people claim to actually see Hector's apparition. 
But the weird thing is this is no one actually states what he looks like, what he's wearing, how old is he, nothing. So if you see an apparition, how do you know it's the same boy Hector? How do we know that multiple people aren't seeing multiple different spirits? How do we know it's the same one? I also have no record of a boy named Hector who actually died here, as there actually have only been seven children who died while in the orphanage. And what happened with these seven children or how we have records of them is there is actually a cemetery on site where the original orphanage was. And this was for the children who passed away while living here. The original gravestone is actually still there at the cemetery and does have the children's names on it. But it's really old and worn and really hard to read. So after the home closed, The cemetery was left uncared for. It was grown over with weeds, even though the military was supposed to be keeping up with it. And I will actually post some pictures so you can kind of see the before and after of the cemetery. The locals were pretty upset when they discovered the overgrown cemetery and the gravestone, which you could hardly read. So they raised money and had a new gravestone made and erected to honor the children. And on this gravestone, it has the names and dates of their lifespan. And finally, after many petitions, the military actually cleaned it up and does currently maintain it still to this day. The children who died here were Fred Dame, who was four years old, Irene Crumpler, who was seven, Bertie Frazier, who was four, Jimmy Brown, who was 11, Howard Morgan, who was just a couple days shy of being a year old. Charlie Hamblin was 15. Myrtle Morgan was two. So quite a few different deaths. All these kids died between the year of 1904 and 1923. Now, maybe these deaths of these children could be the cause of the next haunted account. There are reports of lights throughout the academy that will turn on and off by themselves, and shadowy figures will be seen moving up and down the hallways. In the female shower rooms, the sinks and the showers will turn off and on by themselves. Also, one of the spirits likes to roll the ball across the floor, and if you kick it, the spirit will actually kick it back to you pretty hard. So game of kickball with a ghost, anyone? I'm guessing that this might be one of the children's spirits wanting to maybe play. One witness stated that he woke up to find a young girl standing next to his bed, but then she just vanished. And this may be the same girl that can be heard laughing throughout the academy. When she is spotted, she's usually seen wearing a white dress. And maybe her mom is the lady in white. (laughs) Yeah, bad joke. Sorry. This little girl does also like to play pranks. She will steal your shoes while you're showering, make the water turn off mid-shower, or even change the temperature in the shower while you're in there. Which, I'm not sure how people know it's this little girl and not Hector. Maybe they're one and the same if you're not seeing them. But again, how do we know that these aren't just pranks played by the fellow students? 
there are frequent sightings of two apparitions that like to walk around the campus. Maybe they're enjoying a stroll. Nobody really says how old these apparitions appear to be. Are they adults? Are they children? We're not really sure. There are also kids saying at the academy that stay at night, you can hear the sounds of children laughing and playing. And oddly enough, one of the rooms at the academy was used as a sick room. But weirdly, it was built like a padded cell to house maybe someone who was insane. But why? It is stated that the padded room was built by the training facility for some of their more troubled kids. But again, really? I mean, this isn't somewhere, you know, that people are getting psychiatric care. I don't think that if a kid actually needs a padded cell that maybe they should be there. So maybe that has something to do with the story of Hector. I don't know. Some people claim that the hauntings are partly due to this site being on sacred land or burial grounds of the Cherokee tribe. But this whole area was Cherokee land and the schoolhouse was originally used by the Cherokee. So there is no evidence, and the Cherokee do not state that this was a sacred area at any time. I mean, if we want to get technical, not only was the entire area Cherokee tribe area, but the entire United States was at one time held by various indigenous tribes. If we went by the reasoning that any native lands used by natives were sacred, we'd be in a haunted vortex in the entire United States. So I'm not going to go with indigenous hauntings on this one. All in all, though, we have seven children who died at the orphanage, and they would have had an attachment to the home there, their friends, the people who took care of them. And maybe some of them have chosen to stay here in their afterlife and maybe hang out with the other kids who are around. We also have the deaths of the tornado victims who may have been tragically tied to the home as they suffered their final moments here. And lastly, the Whitakers may be tied to the home still too. They did have a son pass away here and both of them devoted their hearts and their souls to this place. So maybe they are the couple actually strolling the ground. Maybe some of the kids playing are theirs. And maybe they're all just kind of hanging out as a big happy family, even in death. Before I kind of roll out on this one, I do want to say something that I found very, very interesting. With many of the larger haunted cases I've covered and things like that, I hear a lot of hearsay from various individuals, but no matter really what you read, it's kind of the same thing repeated over and over again. Like somebody's reading something, copying, pasting it, and then kind of using it as their own with another word or two. But what I found interesting with this story is there are lots of first-person accounts from various people this includes kids who were staying here at the Youth Academy before they graduated. But you also hear stuff from some people who are pretty high up in the military, I mean, colonels, things like that, who put their names down. And I don't think you would kind of want to blemish your reputation if you're a colonel or high up in the military. So for them to write this, it must be some serious haunted reports that they think are happening. So while all in all, no investigations have been done here, you're not going to find any pictures, 
of ghosts, things like that. But again, this is a functioning military academy. They're not just going to let people traipse in. They're not going to let you do a paranormal investigation. Maybe if you were able to use a building that isn't currently used anymore, as not all of the 30 facilities and things like that are used. But that ends our podcast episode on the Thunderbird Youth Academy. I hope you enjoyed it, and I would love to hear your thoughts on whether you think the Youth Academy is haunted or not. Maybe you've had a personal experience, you have some proof you'd like to share, other facts. I'd especially love to hear from you if you've actually been to the Youth Academy as a youth or as a teacher or military personnel. I'd also love to hear your feedback on this episode and maybe something you might have as an idea for a future episode. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday wherever you tune in and don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast so you know as soon as a new episode is ready. You can also follow this podcast social media for more information on each episode, including pictures, links, and much, much more. You can follow on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, or you can always shoot an email over to paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.